Hey, this is Dave Chris. I'm the pastor of We're One based out of Gateway Assembly, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that this equips you and encourages you in your faith to see Jesus more clearly in your life. Let's hit it. Hey, are y'all ready? We're going to get in the mm-hmm. Word of God, and uh, we're going to dive into this. The book of Philippians, there's four chapters. We're about to finish chapter two tonight, and I thought this would be really special with Pastor Tyler and Pastor Steve. Um, we love you guys so much, and they've been working so hard behind the scenes, and you guys have seen them on Zoom and things like that, but I thought it would just be really good tonight as we're in this new space to kind of almost dedicate this to the Lord tonight with us all together and uh, the team here and even pastors here, we didn't know he's going to show up and support us and Pastor Luke uh, rolling up. Like, it's just awesome to be able to do this together. And uh, it's not just us that are here, but you and your home right now. Um, we want you to join, really join in this with us and say, you know, what? I'm a part of this family. I'm a part of we are one. I'm a part of the church, the body of Christ. And uh, just believe with us that God is using us together for big things. It's not like us on this end, you on that end. We are connected on every end. We are in this circle of connection together for the name of Jesus. So we're going to dig into Philippians chapter two. I want to start at verse 19 and we're going to read to verse 30. Y'all, y'all know what we start every time reading through this. I think by the time we have finished Philippians, we'll have read through the, the book at least twice. And then we're in fams. We read more verses. So, hey, that's how we make people read the Bible together. It's good. We're going to dig into it. Some of you probably have never read Philippians before. Definitely never dug into it this much. But I think this is a really cool opportunity. So this is what I want to do. PT, you read verses 19 to 24. And then Pastor Steve, you read verses 25 um, to 30, and we'll dig into it together. And if you got your Bible at home or it's, on, it's right there, you'll see it on the screen. We'll dig into this together. Here we go. Uh, it starts off with Timothy and Epaphroditus. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proven himself because as a son uh, with his father, he has served me. Uh, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to go to him. I, have, I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Wow. As I read that, honestly, there's something about the scriptures, y'all. I can feel God's presence already. Like nothing I can say will trump what this just said. Um, nothing we can say tonight is greater than this. Our, our heart tonight is to make this known, to make Jesus known, and that you would learn more about this. I think this is kind of one of those sort of passages where you kind of read and you're like, okay, I have no idea. Epaphroditus, Timothy, that doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't relate to me. This has been burning in my heart to share this in, a, in the weirdest way. It's not typically a passage of scripture. I'd be like, oh, I'm really excited to share that. But it's been really burning my heart um, to share this with you. So I'm going to pray. And uh, we just heard God's word. And let's just pray that we receive it now. We're going to tear it apart together. Lord, You're so good. You've been so good to us. You've looked after, Lord, your church, not just Gateway, but all over the world, Lord. You've been looking after your church, and you, Lord, have been expanding it. You've been taking new territory through it. But I pray specifically right now, um, Lord, not just for viewers that would randomly tune in. Lord, we're so thankful for them. We pray that they'd receive and hear the gospel and they'd join this family. Lord, we're not just praying for thousands and millions of people that are being reached, although it is our mission to reach them. This message tonight, is so specifically speaking to the heart of the church to check ourselves and to really gain a perspective of what we should be concerning ourselves with and what we shouldn't. So I pray you'd speak to us tonight because if we can grasp it, we'll greater love each other, we'll greater love the world around us to share Jesus with, and we will, I believe, look more like you, Jesus. So tonight, we're here to give you all the glory, honor, the praise. We're here to magnify your holy name, to take this word, 
and get it in our hearts that we might not sin against you. And we're here to uh, hopefully become more like you by the time we're done tonight. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Everybody says, amen. Amen. Amen, guys. So we're triple teaming it. It's not a tag team because we're not tagging triple in. Triple threat. Triple threat. We going for it tonight. It's going to be good. And I don't know why I've been looking forward to this. I think, let me, let me look at verse 19. Let's go right out of the gate. I look, I read verse 19. The apostle Paul said, I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you soon. And I remember when I was first talking to you about that, I was like excited. I don't know why. I was like already excited because Paul's like name dropping here. He goes, I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you soon that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. Like he's excited to send Timothy. He's excited to learn about the church at Philippi. And he's like name dropping this guy, Timothy. And if Paul is putting your name in one of his letters, you must be kind of important. It's like when Jesus, obviously in the red letters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when he'd reference people, that was like huge that he's like by name referencing people, right? And so when Paul name drops Timothy, I don't know what, how much y'all know about I remember it. my mom like cutting out my picture when it get in the paper, you know, back <laughs> in the day. She'd like put it up on the fridge like, my son's in the oh, paper. Yeah. Oh my goodness. My mom has a keepsake Can you imagine box? your mom <laughs> is putting up the Bible right up there? Be like, my son is in the Bible. Dude, that's a sick thought. I think this is fascinating to think about just in the context of, you know, because we can't be with one another and, and you know, in any significant way right now, everything has gone to mediums like this and how Paul is speaking to the church in Philippi by starting to tell them that I can't wait till Timothy gets to you so that I can receive news about you. Yeah. Like he's talking about the round trip. Like yeah. he's saying like, I can't wait until Timothy makes this long, arduous, dangerous yeah. journey to you so that hopefully he or someone else comes back like months yeah. A year? Well, it's an 800-mile journey. So so you're talking to, from Rome so to Philippi. So much effort to just have that basic communication yeah. that like we're just like... <laughs> it's right here. We're annoyed that there's a 20-second delay between what I just said <laughs> yeah, and when and you're you going to When you guys yeah, hear yeah. it, yeah. Yo, that, that's huge. Like, Let's talk about uh, who is Timothy. Timothy, uh, he was a young man. If you go, what is it, like 1 Timothy 4, 12, whatever. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, said, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. They believe when that was written, he was probably around maybe my age, around his 30s, you know, right around our age. But he was a young guy when Paul first met him. He was on his first missionary journey. And he met this guy. He had, a, he had an interesting family situation because uh, Timothy's mom is a Jew. Timothy's dad is a Gentile. Now, her mom was a Jew who became a believer, and even they believe her gra uh, his grandma as well. But uh, the dad was not. He was a Gentile. And what's so interesting about that, I think that can relate to a lot of you, where either you have parents in your home that either they, maybe they don't serve the Lord like you do, or one does, one doesn't, or whatever your scenario is. But what's cool about it is although maybe, maybe uh, Timothy didn't have a, the dad in his, his Gentile father that was really leading him the way maybe the Scripture would teach him to, Paul talks about how Timothy became his spiritual son. And there was this impact that Paul had on Timothy's life to really raise him. So what happened? First missionary journey, he meets him. Timothy gets plugged into the local church. He gets raised up just like we are, the local church here. He gets trained up. On the second missionary journey, Paul's like, hey, Timothy, you should come with me now. You're going to be my spiritual son. You even see, we're going to skip ahead. We'll, get, we'll come back. But in verse 22 of Philippians, Paul says, because as a son with his father, he gives this reference, he has served me in the work of the gospel. This is coming from when he wrote to him in First and Second Timothy. If you look at, like, say, First Timothy 1, 2, Paul writes this letter to Timothy, and he says, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. That's like the heading who he's writing to. So you see there's this, like, deep connection between them. Why? Why is he putting Timothy's name in Philippians? Why does he write to Timothy? Why in a second missionary journey does he pick him up? Because this guy, heart and soul, like-minded, was saying, I am going to follow you in sharing the gospel. There was this connection between them where maybe with his Gentile father, he didn't have that sort of connection. But with Paul, it became a spiritual uh, father to him, and he was the spiritual son as Timothy. If you want to know like more about their connection, we actually preached a message together because I remember like you were 16 when you started in, uh, well, started working kind of mm -hmm. under me and learning ministry, and you were what 18 when you were an intern. But we've kind of always referenced like you were like a Timothy learning under me as a Paul. Uh, and I think we were in a series called Paint Jesus. It's in the link in the description called Painted by Example. We talked mm -hmm. a lot about this connection between Paul 
and Timothy. So if you want to know more about kind of their backstory, go watch that message to get even more context after this. But look at verse 20 here. Uh, we went read verse 19. He, he name drops Timothy. Verse 20, he says, I have no one else like him. Now, we could stop right there and probably preach a whole message on that thought right there. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your well-being. There's a lot of things we can see here because it wasn't just all about Timothy at that point. He cared so much about the church at Philippi, he wanted to send the right person. That'd be like any one of us saying, hey, we care about you guys so much. If you're in need, we want to make sure if we can't be there for some reason, we're sending the right person to get to you because you're the church, man. Like, we are the church together. We care about each other so much. So when he says this phrase, I have no one else like you, he's like, Timothy is special. Like, it's not that he just gets me. He gets Jesus. Like, they share this love for Jesus and this, this love for the church. Like, he's like, I don't know anybody else that's it's so in tune with the way I am like Timothy is. Timothy, we say this a lot when we're with the leaders or our interns. We say, what do we say? They're an extension of us. We're an extension of yeah. pastor. They're an extension of, of gateway, an extension of Jesus. And we use the phrase a lot that not, it's nothing to boast in us because, you know, we're nobodies, you know, in the grand scheme of who Jesus is. But we know God has raised us up to be leaders and to, to help pastor the church. And so mm -hmm. when we raise up, say, leaders, interns, ones like that, we're saying, hey, you're an extension of what we're doing. You're helping us further this. This is what Paul is saying about Timothy. He's saying he's an extension of me. Like he, he's going to be able to go to you and I can't. He's going to reach beyond. And I think this is huge for us to understand because Paul was setting up Timothy as like a perfect example. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he's like a perfect example of what it really looks like to follow after Jesus and to love the church and to lead others to Jesus. But he wasn't, when he says that there's no one like him, that's a really important phrase. He goes, there is no one else like him. He wasn't saying like, man, he's one of a kind. He wasn't like, man, he's a special dude. It was bigger than that. It was a lot deeper. He was speaking to the generation at that time. And he was saying, when I say that there's no one else like him, I literally mean there's no one else like him that will step up to the plate. There's no one else that really gets it and that will go after it. There's no one else that I could really trust to send to you right now that just is so linked with me. There's no one else. And I guess for me, as I look at our culture, I look at this generation, um, you know, what does it say? And what, what book does it, it say that I, God said in the Old Testament, I looked for someone to stand in the gap and there was no one. The Apostle Paul here is talking about Timothy. He says, there's no one else I'd send you but Timothy. It's literally him. And I look at our generation, and I don't say this to hate on you guys. I want to just put this out in the open so we can have a conversation about it. But there's a real lack of drive. There's a lack of heart, passion. And, and maybe even they have those things, but there's a lack of sacrifice to really see it happen. Yeah. Like when, when Paul name drops Timothy here, he's not doing that just randomly. That's a big deal he's saying his name because he had those things. He was willing to sacrifice to really see the gospel go forward. Yeah, we see what's interesting is we see, you know, like we said, it's it the accolades it takes to be in the Bible. Like, like your name is in the Bible, and it's not like in a bad sense. Like you aren't Nebuchadnezzar, yeah, you, you aren't this bad royally, guy. Yeah. yeah, or you're Gideon or anything like that. Like you are c commended in the Bible, and then it just leaves it at that. Like you're honored in the Bible, and so we see this honor that happens. But what we don't see is the the sacrifice that it took for Timothy to not necessarily rise to this level, but to be this type of person. And I think, especially in this generation, you know, we believe in this generation so much. We did a whole series called Z, the now generation, talking about how not only does it live now, but sometimes it's for just now. Sometimes they they live in this moment, this little bubble. And if and sacrifice, the definition of sacrifice is understanding uh, what is to come and to sacrifice what is now in order to make sure what is to come is better That's it, good. in order to make sure the future is uh, the best it can be. Maybe I can hold off on this right now, I'll sacrifice this right now so that in the future it can be better. Yeah. And I think that I think that that is something that is genuinely lacking in our um, it's a genuine uh, lacking in our conversations is lacking in our relationships is lacking in our um, friendships and it's lacking in a lot of things It's lacking in a, a lot of a personal sense, especially for people who are trying to figure out what they're supposed to do. Like my encouragement would be to you is just like, 
um, it starts with just sacrifice. It starts with that. Um, yeah. You might not know exactly your path. You know, we're all trying to figure out where we're supposed to go. Um, but I guarantee you, if you're willing to sacrifice like Timothy, um, you will be put into places that you didn't expect. You know, I guarantee you, Timothy didn't wake up and be like, yo, I'm about to serve Paul. And I, I guarantee you, when him and Paul were doing their thing, they had no clue that thousands of years later, we would be reading about them and we'd be having, <laughs> they didn't wow. know what live stream was. Yeah. They had no clue. They would have no clue what we're doing, but God, because of the sacrifice, he will then expand what they've done. And that's, that's what's super cool. You look at, I mean, if you were to look at what in the, the thirties and even before and after great, the uh, world wars happening and all these things. I mean, these are people that sacrificed. We, we don't talk about this probably enough or think about it, but they sacrificed so we could be here today, have freedom and have this future. And what if like, what if Hitler was rising up and he's just knocking on America's door and there's no military that wants to rise up, lay their lives down, sacrifice, they would have literally taken over America. We wouldn't even be here today. And, and maybe that's not exactly how it looks for us today. But I think in order to see people truly come to know Jesus, there is a sacrifice that has to come with that. Yeah, I think it's interesting the way Paul phrases it. If you can, if I can just jump forward a verse for a second in 22, he says, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And there's something to be said about the proving grounds of servanthood. There's something to be said about, about Timothy's willingness to get in the trenches. You know, I love, you know, Paul always encapsulates that with the gospel. You know, he always just says in the work of the gospel, but then other times he elaborates on on that. And he says, you want to know what the work of the gospel is? I've been beaten with the 39 lashes this yeah. many times and I've been in starvation. And I, you know what I mean? Like he always just encapsulates it and makes it sound somewhat prettier, I think, than it is. But like Timothy was willing. I mean, imagine if you've ever seen the movie like The Patriot, like 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 you talked about with, with you know, that's a revolutionary war. But imagine that war. If your father is stepping into battle, don't have an option but to follow him. But should you follow him, you will be proven to be a leader of men in the next yeah. battle that you face. And what you see in Timothy is not just someone who blindly followed. He proved himself yeah. by being willing to submit himself to the depths of the pain of the work of the gospel that Paul was That's in. good. Yeah. I mean, you look at this, though. Look at, look at how much he was willing to prove himself. I think everybody wants to be able to step up and just have things now. But there's even a, more of a process than even that. Let's double back and then go to where you just went. Paul comes on his first missionary journey, meets Timothy, but he doesn't take him with him. He keeps them, him in the local church. He's proving to, himself through patience. To be trained by the local church, to serve the local church, to do here and now where he is before he's going to yeah. go where he could go. Paul then comes back on a second missionary journey, picks him up and go, okay, you ready? Let's do it. Yeah. And then he really sees sacrifice and things happen. I love Mason. I'm actually watching the chat right now. Mason said, uh, sacrifice opens opportunity. And like, if you're looking for an opportunity in your life, like if you're looking for an, an opportunity for something to happen, if you're like waiting on God for something, it starts with sacrifice. It really does. You know, Timothy had all these opportunities and he found himself traveling the world. And back then traveling the world wasn't like it, as easy as it is yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, well, not right now. I mean, flights <laughs> yeah. like yeah. tickets now Probably are closer cheap, to how man. it is now. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it wasn't simple, like to travel the world, like he traveled the known world. Mm -hmm. um, doing the work of the gospel as awful and as hard as it probably was like a bless his life was so much bigger than than he would have ever thought his opportunity expanded mm -hmm. so yeah. much to be able to reach so many different people because he was willing to sacrifice you referenced to you said you know let's say with timothy he he would have never known thousands of years later we're talking about him he did that for the sake of christ to follow paul as he knew god had called him to for there and now Knowing that it would pay for Christians now, he might not have known exactly now. He probably didn't know we'd be online and all these things, but he did that then, his now, for the next, our now. And I really look at even this idea of our culture wants to be influencers. Um, they want to have followings. Um, even in the church world, big ministries. And Timothy, he wasn't caught up in any of that. In scripture, it says he was concerned for the church. That's all he cared about. He was concerned for the local church he grew up in. 
He was concerned for the church at Philippi. He was concerned for the church. Like, Apostle Paul here says, I have no one else like him. What defined Timothy? You read verse 22. Let's add verse 21 with it. What defined Timothy to make him so unique based on what we're talking about? Verse 21, 22. For everyone looks out for their own interests. You see this? He ain't playing. He goes, everyone, mm-hmm. everybody. Not just like some people. He says, everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Maybe at one point he's saying Timothy looked out for his own interests, but hey, he's going through training ground now. He's grown up in the local church. He's sacrificed. He's been on the journeys with me. He has proved himself because as a son with his father has served with me in the work of the gospel. Verse 21, 22, what are we talking about here? The interests of Jesus. What are we talking about? We're talking about the heart of Jesus. That's really what we're saying. Mm-hmm. Timothy, he had, he knew, he walked with the heart of Jesus. Verse 22 now, proving himself training ground. What is that? That is the hands of Jesus. Timothy possessed the heart of Jesus and the hands of Jesus, and that's why Paul's saying there's no one else like him. Verse 21 really kind of uh, piques my interest here, though. Everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Christ, not those of Jesus. What What does that mean? What does it mean, the interests of Jesus? What does that look like? You guys have any thoughts on that? I think ultimately the interest of Jesus is always going to be the interest of someone else. Um, be that the interest of the Father or be that a, a another person that he would meet and have compassion on them. The interests of Jesus always look like the laying of a side of your own interests. Like by definition, yeah. if you look at every other religion, every other worldview, it's defined by its... Um, essentially it's it's increase of self you know christianity was defined by a leader giving everything of themselves and requiring nothing of anyone else except what i have done myself meaning i'm not going to yeah. i'm not going to demand anything of you that i wouldn't go do myself and i think yeah. the interests of jesus always look like that being willing to lead into those treacherous places in those painful places first so that others would follow because because Paul did that. That's the mm-hmm. only reason Timothy was willing to embark on this. The work of the gospel is because Paul showed that that picture of what that looked like. And I think I don't want to be a part of a I don't I don't want our generation, you know, uh, millennials and Gen Z. I don't want our generations to be characterized by an unwillingness to prove ourselves. I think sometimes there can be this mindset of, well, I shouldn't have to prove myself to you like I know like. There's this like pride in us a lot of times of like, well, I shouldn't have to prove, like you should. I should, if I expect anyone to follow me, if I expect to be a person of influence, I should be willing to first go to those painful places myself to navigate those things and, and, and be, conf- you know, not even know exactly what the heck I'm doing and have to figure it out as I go so that people can walk in the footsteps of that. And I think sometimes we're unwilling to do that and we, we have this arrogance that like, I should be given influence without having to prove myself. And I don't think that Jesus ever did that. Yeah. I mean, you look That's at true. Jesus himself. He, he basically said that. He said, if, if, I, if you clothe someone and if you give them food, you're clothing me and you're giving me food. So those are his interests. And you see Jesus all the time. All the time, Jesus is constantly throwing back the, the glory off of him and back to the father. He says, you know, it's not me, it's the father. I'm doing this for the father, the father's will. He would go and he'd pray and he would get in tune with what the father said. So he's constantly, I mean, this is, Jesus is God, like he is God, but he's walking and he's constantly giving it back to the other part of himself. Uh, he's giving it back to the father. And I, and constantly we see them, we see that Jesus is constantly taking uh, his interests and he's applying it through other people and he's applying it through the work of the father and it's the selflessness that I think is really important to see and exactly what you said like he literally said it himself like his interests are not my own interests like yeah. my own interest is to keep the clothes for myself and the food for myself yeah uh, it's you know more quarantine has proven that <laughs> yeah like, yes literally quarantine has proven that people are about their own interests the toilet paper is gone groceries were are gone Sid just told me today hilariously enough she's been trying she would you know when I think it was her and Kay were talking Pastor Luke and uh talking about uh trying to get flour and stuff and the girls want to make bread and all that and every store is out of flour can't get flour anywhere well mom texts Sid today and goes hey 
was looking down, looking down in dad, our, our pastor in the kitchen. <laughs> He's got three things of flour down it's there. Space. <laughs> I wish y'all could fan over. Homeboy his. always has like every, and he's not even the hoarder. No, he's he not. He just happened to have, he just buys things in like <laughs> Sam's Club bulk every time he buys anything. Oh, man. I, yeah, I think quarantine has proven a lot of people are about their own interests. And the Apostle Paul here is saying there's no one like Timothy because he's about Jesus' interests, the heart of Jesus, and he wants to be the hands of Jesus. He's willing to prove it. He's willing to really put it, get his hands dirty and prove it. And that's why the Apostle Paul continues in verse 23. He said, because of all that, I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I, uh, as soon as I see how things go with me, we're going to talk about that. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. I I love both parts of here, verse twenty three and twenty four, because it hits me first. Um, I actually, in my mind, for some reason, when I read, I skip to verse twenty four because Paul's just still excited to see everybody. He's confident and he's hopeful. He's like, I know, like this ain't looking good. I'm on trial right now. I know, like I'm under house arrest. But I'm still excited to see see y'all. I still believe I'm going to come see you again. I think some people during this quarantine, suicide rates and so many things have risen and it's been tough on a lot of people. But listen, even in the midst of all the hardship that maybe has taken place in quarantine, all the isolation, uh, all of what people would call separation, um, I still believe that we are separate but not separated. I still believe we're going to be together soon. I still know that God has great things that are going to happen through our church. Uh, we've seen great things during this quarantine happen, much less how much when we get back together. Like, I'm imagining, like, uh, just like, here's uh, off topic for a second. We've been talking about, like, June 12th coming up here real soon is, like, our ninth, we are one's ninth birthday. And we've been talking about throwing, like, a birthday party. Even it has to be, it has to be like, a drive-in birthday party. How, that is going to be bonkers. People yeah. honking horns at each other. People hanging out windows. Now, we're going to stay, like, social distancing. We're going to respect the laws and everything going on. But listen, it's going to be, like, bonkers when we get back together. And that's, like, the hope I have. And the Apostle Paul is like, I'm still hopeful, but this is what I can't figure out. Like, I get that, but what I can't figure out is here's Paul on trial, possibly facing death, who knows, life or death, under house arrest. He's chained to a guard, and the scripture is saying here, it's worded, I'm going to see how things go with me, yet it starts off, I'm excited, I'm hopeful, I'm ready to send Timothy. What I don't get, in the midst of him facing his hardest trial, all that he's focused on still is the church at Philippi. All that he cares about is sending Timothy. Even though Timothy's there to possibly help him, he wants to send Timothy to help the church. And I think this is the interest of Jesus. I think this is where we lack because Paul wants to send, send Timothy to help the church even though he's going through his hardest times. And then he addresses in verse 19 to 24, he focuses around Timothy. And then verse 25, he focuses around a guy named Epaphroditus. He focuses his attention. And you're going to see that always he focuses on others. He focuses on the church, but not himself. Now look at verse 25. He goes, I want to send Timothy, but if I can't send him right away because of my trial and the circumstances happening, like it's not about me, it's really about you. Look at what he's going to do. He's going to pull a fast one. Verse 25, he goes, I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. You see a couple of things here. First of all, you understand, Epaphroditus was a Gentile believer. Understanding that, it's a big deal because that means that the Apostle Paul and some of the disciples that followed Jesus became the apostles. Apostle means sent. They went and they shared the gospel places, and followers of Jesus spread it, meaning this guy, Epaphroditus, he was a Gentile that one time didn't worship Jesus. He was a guy, like, he wasn't like a Jew that was raised up in knowing, like, the culture of the Old Testament and stuff. Like, he came, Jew, uh, he, Apostle Paul is a one Jew. one of us. Yeah, he's one of us. We're Gentiles. So the Apostle Paul was a Jew that discovered Jesus, spread the gospel. So now Epaphroditus, a Gentile, he, scholars believe he was actually from the church at Philippi. So that's why Philippi then sent him off, um, the church at Philippi sent him off to check on how the Apostle Paul was doing. Now, Paul speaks of him, and he just has good things. He goes, he's my brother. Now, that was like brother from another mother. They weren't actually brothers. Like, he's like, he's my brother. He's my coworker, meaning he's like worked hard to share the gospel. And he even uses the phrase fellow soldier. What is he saying here? He's saying, man, he's fighting for the cause of Christ. He's doing everything he can. He gets the vision. He's living out the gospel. And what's cool about it is it's not just Paul that loves and trusts Epaphroditus, but the church at Philippi also did. They knew Paul was going through such hardship that they sent Epaphroditus to Paul to go help him. And I just think this is a cool thought 
of everybody kind of looking out for one another here. Now, I'm about to get to that because that's the title of our message. We're about to get here really quick. Let me read one more verse, and then we're going to dig into this whole idea. Because Paul is concerned about the church at Philippi. They're concerned about Paul sending Epaphroditus. And, you know, Epaphroditus, you know, that's an 800-mile journey. He's like a beach ball at a Nickelback concert. You know, he's like a yeah. ping-pong ball ping back pong and forth, paddle. you know, at an Asian championship ping-pong tournament or something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like Epaphroditus, he, here, there, like, because everybody is, like, right, concerned about one another. So look at verse 26 here. This is what it's saying about Epaphroditus. It's saying that he longs for you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. So the church finds out that Epaphroditus is super sick. You're going to read it in the next verse here in a second. It says to the point where he was almost going to die. They find out he's super sick. And all that they're concerned about is, hey, Epaphroditus is sick. How is he doing? Like, is he doing well? This is what I find funny, is the Philippians are concerned about how Epaphroditus is doing. And Epaphroditus is concerned that they're concerned. <laughs> it's kind of like a little over the top here. You know what I'm saying? Like, literally, they're concerned about him, but what he's concerned about is that they're concerned about him. And I just find that interesting because it sounds a little over the top, but this is what we're calling tonight the circle of concern. Follow me here. We're going to break this down. You could do this with Paul, Timothy, Jesus, his followers, hopefully even us, mm -hmm. but look how this breaks down here. I'm going to take it just from this angle. The Philippians knew that Paul is in prison. They're concerned about him, so they send Epaphroditus. Paul then receives news that Epaphroditus is sick, so Paul then is concerned about Epaphroditus. So you catch in here? Philippians are concerned about Paul, so they send Epaphroditus. Paul is concerned about Epaphroditus. So here's, there's, there's one part of the circle. Look at verse 27. It says, Indeed he was ill and almost died. And this Paul's saying this, But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but on me also, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. So the Philippians are concerned about Paul. Paul is concerned about Epaphroditus. And verse 26 says that Epaphroditus longs to be with the Philippians, and he's concerned about the Philippians. You see the circle of concern here. I'm getting confused yeah. talking about. Philippians <laughs> yeah. are concerned about Paul. Paul is concerned about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is concerned about the Philippians. We'll have here. to get a diagram in post. Yeah, we should have had like a, a nice uh, TV back here. We could spray paint it on yeah. there. But like, you see, this is what we're calling the circle of concern. Everyone is not concerned about themselves, but the next person. By concern, we mean genuine care, genuine love. Like the church is built on the circle of concern. Everyone not looking out for their own interests, as we talked about in, in, in a, um, uh, previously in this message, but looking out for the interests of what Jesus is interested in. That is, as you said, one another. Everybody but yourself. And what we, I think, do a lot of times is we want to make sure we take care of ourselves first, but God's actually saying, take care of others and I'll take care of you. And even bigger, here's what's cool. Take care of others, and I promise you, if you're part of the church especially, someone else will take care of you. So what's you guys' thoughts here? The circle of concern. I believe this is what the church is built on. You know, we're built on the rock, Christ Jesus. But how would you break down and define how either we can walk in it, what this looks like, better understanding what's happening here with the circle of concern? Yeah, I think what's super interesting is this is the model of the church. This is exactly what God intended for the church to be like. Uh, and we see a lot of times the church, people coming in, like we said, with their own interests, with their own agenda. Um, like, I'm going to get this. You have this, you have this almost like this idea of church where it's like, ah, that church doesn't really fit my style. And I get that people have different relationships and it's all good. Like I get it. But, um, if you're looking at a church to solely fit you yeah, and if you're looking for it to fit your interests, you've actually opted yourself out of this circle of concern and you're just circulating the concern around yourself. And this is pure selfishness. And we, we really, we really like fight for unity in the church, but unity in the church starts with unity, with an understanding as an individual that it's not about my interests. It's not about the way he said that that made me mad. It's not about the way he looked at me. It's not about the way that that person did this. What it is about is my genuine care. Did they say that for a reason? Why are they feeling that way? What's been going on in their life? Like if we had this concern for one another that 
and that we didn't, we weren't so wrapped up in the concerns of ourselves and we were selfless as individuals, the unity of the church would be so much better. It would be so much better. It'd be so much greater. We wouldn't see uh, tensions between people. We wouldn't see, we wouldn't even see tensions between from church to church. Cause we see that you see that all online. Yeah. You see social media, people bashing this church, bashing this person, bashing this speaker, all this stuff. What we want though, is we want understanding of a unity of Christ starts with a concern. And it starts as, it starts with us. It doesn't start with him or him or you or it doesn't start with that. It starts with myself. Yeah. And, and a lot of times we're like, man, if they cared more, if that church cared more, they'd give more. And we have this attitude where it's like, yeah, well, maybe, but how about we start with our our care? Yeah. How about we start with what's happening here and my level of concern? And that will in turn create more unity. A room full church. of selfish people can't be unified. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not possible. Yep. It's not possible. That's good thoughts. You got any thoughts? I don't want to cut you off. Yeah. So I, I felt like the Lord gave me this illustration the other day, and I didn't entirely know what it was for until we were discussing this. And when we started quarantine, me and Janelle realized that we had enough Amazon credit to buy us like a cheap uh, hot tub on our <laughs> on our for our back deck. <laughs> Bought it with Amazon credit. It was amazing. And it's been incredible. It's been so nice just like we sit out in it at night and sit under the stars and stuff. And I was in it the other day by myself and uh, I just put the little like chlorine, you know, like this small little chlorine floater in it and I turned the bubbles on <clears throat> and I was trying to read the word and this stupid thing kept floating over to me and I'm like, it's like crowding me and I'd take it and I'd literally toss it to the other side and it would float over to me and I'm like, okay, I've seen the bubbles on, this thing does not, why is it attracted to me? I, I could not figure it out for the longest time and it was driving me nuts. So frustrating until I finally realized the bu- you know the vents that push the bubbles out are circular they go all the way around but where i was sitting against it i was actually blocking a series of vents so what was happening is there was an area of low pressure surrounded by a bunch of areas of high pressure and so as soon as i moved my body away from that and i got more central that thing just stayed in the center center because now there was equicenter you know force all around it and it was keeping it central and i felt like the lord was just spoke to me in that moment about how there's so many people in quarantine right now uh not i think in a sense maybe caring for themselves and and i I don't want to make this sound counterintuitive because what we're talking about is caring for others but caring for yourself in the sense that we're sort of letting go of some of our standards we're sort of letting go of some of the things that the lord has imparted to us like what's so fascinating about timothy like we're talking is that he had genuine concern for others welfare and it hit me that just like Satan's like this little chlorine floater, right? And he's looking for an area of low pressure. And wherever that is, that's where he's going to crowd. And I want to make sure, because we're we're the body of Christ now, but when we come back and we get to be that body that we crave to be again, I want to make sure that I'm not someone that has given way to false pretenses and has given way to a lack of care for others and has given way to uh, lower my standards. I I want to make sure that the circle stays surrounded so that, he stays where he's supposed to be, covered, completely surrounded by the people of God because he is going to and fro looking for who he can devour. And high pressure always desires to find a li- an area of low pressure. And I want to be someone that makes sure that I keep up my concern for the things of God. I keep up my concern for the things of God's people, that I keep up my desire to see God's church so fulfill its purpose in this hour that when each of us come back, no vents are covered. That when each of us come back, that the circle is fully completed and that the work can be done because the pressure has stayed on the enemy even in this hour where we feel like we can't accomplish what we're trying to, that we keep pressure on him because no one of us is blocking the the, the air that the Spirit's trying to release, if that makes sense. That's really good because I think um, I look at Paul and... You know, obviously when I read about Jesus, I feel the same way. But, you know, in the New Testament, when I read about somebody like Paul, I'm just like, man, I got a lot of growing to do. I got a lot of work to do. And I think being in that humble place of realizing that, that kind of modeling ourselves after somebody. Because I look at Paul and here he is. He's under house arrest, yet he's concerned about Epaphroditus. He's under house arrest, yet he's concerned about the church at Philippi and he wants to send Timothy. He's kind of like, hey, you know, I think I think so much it's this understanding of like God's got me covered. It's not that at times we're not in need where we need other people's help, but it's all, it's this understanding like God's got me covered. I, I need to invest myself worrying about others, 
not worrying about myself, which I want to lead into this idea because when we worry about ourselves, um, let me read the scripture. It'll set it up. We're all going to click on this. Look at verse 28. Paul's concerned about Epaphroditus. Verse 28, he says, Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him, you may be glad. And look at, he says, I may have less anxiety. Anxiety. There's the word we're going to get there. But he literally, he's like anxious about the fact that Epaphroditus is sick and he just wants to make sure he's going to be well, he's going to get there, and that the church is going to be well. I think everybody listening right here, as soon as we say anxiety, it's like, yep, me, I relate. It's like everybody's connecting to this word anxiety. But this is where it gets confusing for me. Now, I, I search in different books. Same book, the book of Philippians. Check this. Chapter 2, we just read, verse 28, so I may have less anxiety. Let's go to chapter 4. We're going to get there in a little bit, but let's skip ahead. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Okay, make your mind up here, Paul. Which one? He says that he wants to have less anxiety, but then in chapter 4, verse 6, he tells us not to have anxiety. What does, he, what does he mean by this? Now, I want to have us break this down because these are two very different things. When he references anxiety in chapter 2, it was not about himself. It was directed about somebody else. It was genuine concern. He was like really worried about somebody. He was praying about for them. He wanted to make sure they'd be okay. But in chapter 4, when he references an anxiousness, he's referencing something internal. Now, bringing these two, I know in both of you, I've had conversations about anxiety, and I know we've all struggled with it in some way, but bringing these two verses into light here, I think, and if you guys can elaborate with me, I think what this shows me, chapter 2, is when he uses anxiety, it's so much this thing about a concern for others. But in chapter 4, Really what he's talking about is selfishness. What, I guess when you referenced earlier about <clears throat> this like kind of unity, you know how basically selfishness and unity can't exist together. When he talks about anxiety here in chapter 4, what he's really referencing is this self-centeredness. Would you guys agree with this thought? And I, you know, again, tell me if I'm wrong because I, I don't want to just put this out there. But would you agree that this internal anxiety, it's selfish, it's self-centered, and that's truly what makes it wrong? Versus what Paul references in chapter two. I mean, absolutely. It's 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 terrible. It's easy to write it off, and it's easy for to make you feel sorry for yourself because you have it, because you maybe deal with it or something like that. And it's not something that we take lightly. It's not something that we like laugh or joke about. But what it is, it's really something. It's something serious. But it's definitely not something of God. Like that's that's clear. Um, God never wants you to. Be worried about something else and only drive it towards back towards your own heart. Um, I mean, he says himself, like the heart is deceitful above all things. He wants you to take your cares. It says, cast your cares upon the Lord. Take your concerns, take your maybe personal things, maybe not things with other people, and cast it upon him. Driving them inward will only pile it up. It'll only start to pile up until it can't pile up anymore. And I want to scoop back to a thought that we, we were just talking about with Timothy. You know, something that Timothy did because of his concern for other people because of his concern for the church it actually what it did was it got him farther in life it got him into bigger and better opportunities in life because he was now concerned with other people and what's cool about the church is that when i'm concerned about you and you you two combined are more powerful than me on my own and as a church when i'm concerned about my church as a whole i now now have I now have not only the power of myself and the Lord, but now I have the power of myself, the Lord, and the church yeah, backing me up. But the more I drive things inward and the more anxiety drives you inward and begins to collapse you, you start to lose the power that you have with other people because it begins to feed in isolation. Yep. It begins to feed uh, a self-pity uh, mentality. And you start to just drive everything inward until it piles up and you can't feel God. He's trying to get in there, but you've driven all this stuff in here. Yeah. You can't talk to other people. And it's a very hard place to be. What, what people do is when they struggle with anxiety, any single one of us, um, I think anxiety manifests in different ways. Some people really kind of cave in. Some people get frustrated. Yeah. And I think however you're dealing with it, it's a matter of understanding that what you're doing is you're focused on yourself and not others. But what Jesus is actually saying is focus on others and let others then worry about you. Yeah. And that that's obviously what we see exemplified, but any any thoughts connecting this idea yeah, of anxiety? It, it's interesting because even if you just look at the language Paul uses, he uses two totally different words to describe those two anxieties. And in chapter two, the one we're talking about, he actually 
uh, I think the New King James actually uses the word sorrow, yeah. um, which is which ties right into the wow. verse that he says right before that. He says, spare me sorrow upon sorrow. So then he goes, therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less sorrow. Um, his sorrow is directly connected not to the fact that he doesn't know whether or not he's going to be healed. He knows that he has been made well at this point. His sorrow is directly connected to the fact that you haven't gotten to see him yet. And that makes me sorrowful because God has done something so incredible with him. I want to show, I want to, I want you to see what God has done in him. And I think, you know, when he gets to, to chapter four, like you referenced, that anxiety, that word is inward thoughts, you know, you know, being preoccupied with something, your mind being completely solicitous is one of the other phrases for it. Like your mind is completely obsessed over that thing. So that's when Paul says, don't let your mind be obsessed over these things. But in this chapter, he's saying, it would actually spare me some sorrow. And I think it's it's kind of fascinating if you look at Epaphroditus' story too, because here's a man, the Bible records tons of healings, but then it records a moment like this, where it says he almost died and the Lord had mercy on him. But it doesn't say that the Lord healed him. It just says that the Lord kept him from death. Yeah. And so Paul got to witness that. And so because of that, now Paul says, man, it would give me so much release from this sorrow if I knew that he could be with you yeah, and you yeah. could share in the joy of what the Lord has done through his life. And you can see you can see Paul's concern here for Epaphroditus. Like if you look at verse 27, like you referenced, um, indeed he was ill and almost dead, but God had mercy on him and not only him, but also on me. So that he makes it, it's not about him, but he's like, oh God, I, you know, he like I care about him cares. so much. Yeah. I care about him so much. And this phrase really catches me. It says to spare me sorrow upon sorrow, double sorrow, not just one, but sorrow upon sorrow. So obviously he's referencing a deep sorrow, a deep concern about possibly losing him. Like he, he was so important. Um, in his life. He cared about him as a believer. You know, he cared about his growth in Jesus. But look at this, sorrow upon sorrow. It wasn't just a deep sorrow over the fact that he almost died, but it was also a sorrow for the possible future of the church. It was this understanding that without him, this actually could hurt the church. He was so vital to serving the church that he had sorrow. It was a, it was a ministry sorrow. It wasn't just a personal sorrow. It was a ministry sorrow to, sorrow to say, if he's lost, that means he can't serve the church anymore. Like I think about like, like Dave, people like David Wilkerson and, and Billy Graham and um, Cy Rogers that just passed away. And I think about my papa one day and we think about these, these heroes of the faith, these men of God, that they're not celebrities, they're servants. And because they serve the church so strongly, there's a sorrow. Like I, I remember when, when David Wilkerson died, I like wept over it because he was a voice to the generation. He was, he was a voice to the church. I, I wept over knowing he wasn't here anymore. His voice wasn't present. He was a prophet. He was the voice of God to us. Like he wasn't here anymore. I think about like losing my, my grandfather or losing even my, my dad. It's not just because he's my dad. It's because he's the voice to our church. He's the voice to Gateway, you know, the, the shepherd's voice to the sheep. And this is what Paul's experiencing here. He had realized how much sacrifice that Epaphroditus had given, how much, how much uh, of his life he had put on the line to serve the church and to advance the gospel. And so when Paul is listing Timothy and Epaphroditus, it's with this understanding of they have sacrificed much. And so he's concerned. Yeah, I think, I think something along those lines that really struck me as you were speaking is uh, a lot of people, they confuse the idea of um, caring about what people think and caring about who they are. Caring about who someone is doesn't always mean you care what they think about you or what they say about you what they what they believe about you um you know someone can think the worst of me and i can still have genuine concern for them and not care what they not care what they say i mean he's getting lashed in the streets he's getting beat up in the streets he doesn't care what these people are saying he cares about their souls and a lot of people are so uh, a lot of people what they do is they get so concerned with what people think and what people say that they actually totally miss the soul part they totally miss the and and we see that he has this he's heaped sorrow upon sorrow a lot of times we think that if we're burdened with all these other people's problems we won't have time for our problems and uh, we won't have time for our burdens but what actually that's why the kingdom is so paradoxical is that 
the more the more I can invest in other people, the more I can share in their burdens. What happens is my burdens are shared with them, and uh, my burdens become lighter because I'm taking on the burdens, not necessarily what they say or what they think, but I'm taking on the genuine concern and care for them so much that my actual burdens become lighter, and I actually begin to work in a new way that I've never worked before. Yeah, it's like you were talking about. Uh, you're talking about like your mom putting up like cutting out the newspaper and you know putting your picture i was thinking like when i was freshman year playing soccer i was gatorade rookie of the year and man i was <laughs> proud of that newspaper clipping my mama cut that i was proud of that so when paul's putting the names timothy and epaphroditus on we think we kind of have that thought process of what he's doing here but he wasn't putting their names in there because to make them or because they were celebrities he was putting it in there because they were servants and it was to show not only the church at philippi but to show us today what it looks like to truly live a life committed to Christ and committed to serving the church, committed to being concerned for others, caring for others, um, walking in the mad love of Jesus, right? So that's why then he tells the church at Philippi in verses 29 and 30, he ends this section. And that's why he says, so then, meaning because everything else I just said, so then welcome him, Epaphroditus in this case, in the Lord with great joy. And he says this, honor people like him. So whether that's Timothy showing up one day or whether that is us here telling you today, you know, the, the reason that we honor, say, our pastor or the reason we honor people in authority or spiritual leaders like this is not to make them celebrities. It's because they are such servants. They have washed people's feet. They have, have done things of sacrifice that no one will understand. So we honor them because of that. And he says, because he almost died for the work of Christ. Do you realize like what he put on the line? Honor him. He died, almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourself, you couldn't, you couldn't bring to me. You couldn't give me. But he did that. Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and even the Philippians here, they are caught up in this circle of concern. Like it is literally others first, themselves second. We live in a culture though that teaches us to get from others and then maybe we'll give. To gain first and then maybe give second. But Jesus actually taught us the complete opposite. He says, maybe give everything and get nothing in return. Like be willing, like if somebody asks you to go like, what is it, one mile or whatever, go two, ask, you know, this, do this. Like he was saying, take it to the next level. Even the point he said, if somebody slaps you in the face, turn your other cheek and get slapped again. He never says, well, if you give and then you're going to get this. And he says, be willing to give everything and possibly get nothing in return. See, the beauty, though, of being a part of the church is understanding, though, that as you care for others, I promise you, there are people that love you. Even right now in the chat, I can guarantee you've been encouraging each other in the chat. And you've been there encouraging, you know, maybe people that are going through hard times or just the fact that we're all isolated and still just giving love to one another. I promise you, as you will be willing to invest into others, you will be invested into. Like Jesus says, be willing to do it and get nothing in return. But the beauty of the church is understanding that as we're concerned for others, God will take care of us. Ultimately, what's happening here is this, it's this idea in the world that if I receive, then maybe I'll release. If I get, then maybe I'll give. But Jesus is actually saying, listen, you don't need to get anything else from anybody else. I've already given you everything you need. We've gotten from Jesus everything we need. Salvation. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the anointing of God on our life. We've already received all that we need. So now the next step of action is not to receive anymore. It's to release. It's not to get anymore. It's to give all that we have to people. As you give, you will find yourself um, receiving. I don't want to explain it besides the more you release, the more you'll receive. The more you give, the more you'll get. You know, we're coming up on, on May 31st with our territory offering. We are uh, we already have our church in Nicaragua, Gateway Nicaragua. You can follow them on all of our social, and it's an amazing church. These Nikas are awesome. They're, they're amazing people. Like, we can learn so much from them because they know how to release and give and release and give. They ain't, like, looking to get. They live, they live without much. But we're building a new, when we say church, building down there. Like, it's going to be awesome. We, we're believing people are going to flock there to, to grow that village. It's in a, a village, small village of people right there in Trianon. And I look, at, I look at what's happening even on May 31st with our territory offering. It's an opportunity for us to give 
to believe that other people are going to receive Jesus too, to give to even our, our Nicaragua family and Gateway, whatever it is. Whether it's, uh, you know, my neighbor today, you know, she's been amazing. Her, my wife, she's a youth pastor's wife, um, lives right across the street. She hit up Sid and she's like, hey, you want me to get you Starbucks? You know why? I don't know why I'm about to cry over Starbucks. She goes, I want to get you Starbucks. And, I, and she goes, Sid told me it's because of everything that I've done. And I go, what did you do for Cassidy to get, get you Starbucks? She goes, she's been tuning in to Tea Time on Darling. And she's just so moved by how y'all are pouring into the girls. She's not even connected to that. But she just wanted to bless her. I know it sounds dumb, but she wanted to bless her with Starbucks just because Sid was pouring her life. So Sid, here's Sid pouring her life out. She's running around like crazy. Zealand's crying like a, a fiend today. She's trying to move bags and mulch around and do stuff in the yard and stuff. And look at, I mean, it sounds dumb, but look how simple, like how God cares about simple and small things. Had another believer bring Starbucks just to encourage what she was doing and pouring out her life. And I think we have to realize that God, he's watching us at all times. He sees what we're going through. We're not alone. And he knows at just the right time when to bring you Starbucks. I know that's a dumb illustration, but I'm going to use it. God understands the circle of concern because he created Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father saw the, a broken world, sent his one and only Son, Jesus. Jesus walked among us in the world. What did Jesus do? Pointed everything back to the Father, but then he said, when I leave, what am I sending? The Holy Spirit. You see this circle of concern all connected to one another, caring about one another, caring about serving one another, the need, Jesus, the need of the Father, as you talked about earlier. You see this. So I know we got this old school song called Circle, Circle Up, Cuz, and Last Forever. Circle of concern, cuz, I don't know, you know. I just think it's so important. I probably was not singing the right key, Pastor Luke. Sorry, I can't hear what key he's singing. Or usually, y'all know we would have been singing that. But I just think we need to just receive this tonight on two levels. One, some of you need to enter the circle. Some of you need to realize that for God so loved the world, that Jesus was sent for you. And God wants to see you circled up here tonight. But two, some of you got to stop, uh, how did you say it, blocking the vent. Because the circle can't be complete if you're not willing to give forward, release forward. If you're not willing to complete it, we see all these breaks in it. What makes the church powerful, this idea of a circle, is you tell me where the start and end of that is. You know how long I'm called to be with my wife? The start and end of that. We're at this for eternity. And although maybe one day when I get into heaven and I'm kicking my mansion, she has hers, we might pass by and say hi because to be honest, I'm more caught up and wanted to hang out with Jesus than I am Sydney. But the beauty of this, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to our, our relationship together here, when it comes to whatever it is, Starbucks, is that we're each playing a part to complete that circle. There is no beginning and end, but it's just complete. And people are then join, and more people join in it. And the circle gets bigger, but that the circle of concern keeps going. I just want to let you know we are concerned about your soul. If you're out there, you don't know Jesus, we're concerned about you. We're literally doing this tonight. It's been kind of crazy to get this up and running because we moved everything from my basement to here. We thought it was going to be easier, but it got harder. But the reason we do this is not to put on a show, is not to put on one more night. It's because we're concerned about you. We believe that Jesus cares so much about your soul. And I want to give two um, opportunities here. One, you know that your soul is not in right relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to offer the opportunity for you to step into the circle. But two, maybe you're out there and you know you, you call yourself in the circle. You call yourself a part of the church. But if you're like us, you're probably looking at Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, the Philippians. are like, whoa, I got some ways I need to step up. I've been blocking the vent in some ways. I've been cutting up the circle in some ways. And I want to really step into the circle of concern and care about others the way God I know has called me to. If that's you on either, on either level, I just want to pray with you. Give you an opportunity right now to receive Jesus. And also, I want to commission you to release him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me wherever you are? Respect this moment with me. Jesus, as we know we're in your presence right now, we know that you're working. We know you're moving in every heart. We ask you, Jesus, would you move in this moment? Would you speak into every circumstance, every situation? Would you draw people into you right now? If you want to receive Jesus wherever you are right now, why don't you just repeat after me and pray this prayer? This is the moment where Jesus steps into your life. He forgives you of all your sins. 
This is the moment where you come in a right relationship with him and you join the circle. So just say this with me. Say, Jesus, I offer you my life, all my mistakes, all my failures, all my screw-ups. And as I pray this prayer tonight, I'm confessing with every bit of faith that I have in my heart that you are God. You are the circle maker. And I believe right now that you're calling me to step into it first with you and then others that I might become a part of the church forgiven of my sins seen now as Paul said as the righteousness of God because when the Father sees me he sees Jesus thank you Lord for dying on the cross that I can have this moment I want to also pray right now over those that you feel like you're blocking the vent and you're messing up the completion of the circle Jesus, I pray over everybody under the sound of my voice that right now says, you know, I have have been lazy in my walk with God or I have not been diligent. I have not sacrificed. I've been selfish. I've, you know, cuddled in my own anxiety and gotten a corner of my own misery, whatever it is. I pray that right now, Father, over every single person listening, that they would feel and know your presence and they'd feel you calling them out right now. They'd feel you calling them forward like a Timothy to follow Paul, like Epaphroditus putting their life on the line. I pray that missionaries would come right now out of this moment. I pray pastors and evangelists. I pray that doctors and musicians and, um, and technicians and architects and whatever it is, believers of Jesus that would rise up. I pray that it would come out of this right now, that people would feel a calling on their life. People would feel something so strong come over them in this moment that Jesus is calling them forth to a new level, that Jesus is calling them into the circle of concern to not put themselves first, but others first, that the gospel might go forward, that Jesus might be magnified and we might be more like you. Jesus, we give you all the praise, all the honor. I thank you for everybody that is on here with us. Lord, we are one. And we thank you that, Lord, that is the unity that we get to step in, circled together, this circle of concern. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Everybody says, amen.